Simone Cahill's poetry collection Heal offers up to us an uncompromising account of an assault and its aftermath that has left her traumatised with PTSD and at times without hope. However, the Tongan Pākehā writer is a survivor and while she's still scarred and still angry, there is hope within her poems. Simone is also a journalist, filmmaker and performance poet and she's this year's emerging Pacifica writer-in-residence at Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington. Heal comes six years after her first collection, Lucky Punch. Simone says writing Heal has been an important part of her ongoing recovery. Please note that this interview contains references to violence and self-harm. The book is, is still, to me, it's very much poetry. Like, it, it is all these things that are completely of me and from me, but I worked so hard to make it craft. The event, like, it, it is very, very non-fictional. It is the most non-fictional poetry that I've written. I still want to call it poetry, so there are some composites in there but the heart of the book, what drives the book, you know, so many of the experiences in the book, I mean, I'd pretty much say 99% are real and true. And so it felt to me, it was almost like a a conspiring of events around me. And it started with the death of my father in 2015. And here's the Tongan, my Tongan bloodline. And it just hit me um, like a ton of bricks, not only that dad was gone, but also that life can life can finish like that. It felt it felt really early. It felt too early. And I don't feel like we'd ever really had enough of a conversation with me as an alert um and aware person about things like colonization. I just picked up little gems from him here and there. But when he died, everything changed. I left the corporate world. I stopped drinking, and as part of that, I did a tour of Southeast Asia as a mature traveller. I was 39, and that was when the attack happened. And I I just wasn't expecting to be in a position where I was physically fighting, you know, over access to my body. I kind of felt like... I don't know, 39 is the age. I was kind of aware of losing some of the things that I thought, you know, were like the hallmarks of beauty and and youth. My focus was kind of like I don't really feel like I'm in that zone anymore where it's something I really need to worry about. Uh, That is too much male attention or male attention like grabs and clubs and things like that. I kind of felt like I'm a little bit removed from that now. Yeah, so after the attack happened, that just dumped me on my head again in terms of the world changing. And I suddenly was a different person who was, you know, my reactions to situations, particularly with men, um, were completely different. It felt at the time like I had entered a different world. And even now I can't say whether or not I whether or not it was actually all of these things that were happening that were inappropriate, that were, you know, like bosses calling me drunk and having kind of slightly, not slightly, like very inappropriate conversations and then friends sending me things and then stalkers sending me things. I couldn't reconcile, like, what is going on? (laughs) Is the world 
crazy? Am I crazy? And at a certain point, I just felt there's a job here, like there's a job here for me to do because I don't believe that this is something that this is unique to me. I don't think it's unique to me at all. And I I haven't read something, like I'm not saying something doesn't exist, but I haven't read material that goes right to the um, nitty-gritty of coming through after an assault. What happens to you after an assault, especially when you have unresolved trauma in your past? Um, so I thought, uh, well, I'm going to write the thing that I think would have been useful to me, that I would have liked to read, and I'm going to write that for everyone else who's going to be in this position. I really... That was gave me so much um, hopefulness, thinking that I had a job to do through this. It gave me a sense of purpose rather than just confusion and, yeah, stress. So has writing the poetry helped you? Does finding the right words help you to make sense of it? I mean, you've got a, a line in one of your poems that I keep coming back to. The world blackens and separates into poetry. And that, to me, gives a sense that poetry has been kind of a lifeline, mm. if you like, as you have worked your way through all of these emotions, which is so overwhelming. Yeah, it absolutely has been. Poetry is, for me, it's my ability to almost have a, a universal eye. Like, it's not a form of disassociation. Maybe it's a form of higher self. But I, the things that are so stressful in the body, so stressful in the mind and the anxiety, going into a poetic space gives a sense of working with material, almost as if you're, what you're experiencing right now is is yours. It's yours to be reached into. It's yours to be understood. Uh, and it's yours to be expressed and conveyed in a powerful way. And so this, just that, gave me a sense of balance back, gave me a sense of owning the experience and making it my experience, not just something someone had done to me. One of the poems that resonated really strongly with me starts with, I don't cut, talking about self-harm, I don't cut, but I like the red marks left after my cat scratches me. I don't cut, but I like going to the dentist and opening my mouth, shutters of the drill. This again is this reaction that you had to all this pain uh, and some people will go down that stage, won't they, in terms of self-harm? Yeah, and it's it's really hard. It's really hard when I have um, sometimes seen scars on people and it is something so vulnerable, something you know they're in pain, you know that they are in an agony, and yet it's, it's not, it doesn't mean you can even... St- talk to them about it and I think that this is very much part of my intention and in writing the book is to say why can't we talk about it because it's it's hard but it happens it happens you know far more normally it's part of actually more normal life really really unfortunately we have to be able to talk about it we have to be able to connect with each other and you know say like for me, I cutting is a boundary of mine, but I would do other things, you know, other things that, that is an expression of self-hate. 
Um, and self-hate is one of those really devious things and really ironic, horrible, sad things that can happen to people who have been abused or have had harm done to them is that I don't know the pathology of it, but it's like a kind of an internalization of that, like almost like a maybe like a taking of control back in a way that I write poetry. I'm just really grateful I have the ability to write. And yeah, holding the book in my hands, I'm holding it now, I feel like it is a really fair, like even the cover design. Which is yours, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a really fair representation of this kind of inner torment that I had happening that was so wild and so explosive and you know, I was so deeply engaged with it on every level, but there was so little of it that I could talk about. Could you have written, and as you say, this is the craft of poetry, could you have written such exquisitely crafted poetry when you were in the thick of it, or have you had to work through the healing process, Simone, and write this now? I mean, there are no holds barred. You spare us of nothing in terms of your experiences, and and you've gone into this being 100% honest with it, unsparing. I did spare some things. Did you? Oh, Jesus. I spared you the bad poetry. Oh, oh gosh. So you did write, <laughs> so you, but you did write at the time, like... Looking back, actually, the first person who read this book, I was so afraid. It needed to be a woman, and it needed to be somebody I knew was a trauma survivor. And... Um, I could barely look her, we did a Zoom, I could barely look her in the face. Like, I think I was sitting there holding my own shoulders and just really feeling, you know, like I, my insides were out. And I said, is it TMI? Is it, does it feel like a, does it have a rambling diary type feel? And she said, you know, the narrator is very powerful. And I said, what if, you know, I pulled back a bit on some of these things. And she said, and I really heard her, she said, that's that's what makes it you. Those are the places where people feel it. Those are the places where it happens. And if you take them out, you'll be, you'll be pulling your punches. I agreed with her. And I also thought about the people who have genuinely been through this. They know, they know, they know where it goes. And I think it's... Um, it brings power to name it, to name it in your own narrative. You mentioned before that one of the things that these kinds of attacks rob you of is is trust and future relationships with partners. I mean, there's a line here, six foot four is a good height, but when he kissed me, I felt sick. You know, he doesn't taste bad, but I gag. And I imagine that for so much time after this, you're potential relationships were poisoned, your interactions, you know, those moments cast such a shadow, right? Oh, completely. Well, you look at, it wasn't just the intimate partner relationships. It was finding safe workplaces, friends, like community volunteering. And it sounds like the problem is mine, right? (laughs) If you can't find safety in all of these different environments, But what I really like about the book is, like, I'm just giving some examples there. These things actually really happened. Maybe it wouldn't have affected me as horribly as it did if I hadn't been recovering from an assault and hadn't been suffering from PTSD. But 
these things still happened and these things are completely wrong and, you know, beyond basic. Like, they're not criminal, but they're, they're poor, unsafe behaviour. And um, it was all around me. Like, it was solidly all around me and I had to work really hard to find safe environments. And I have, I have safe environments now, but I had to leave multiple workplaces, you know, to find that. And I, it makes me think of what people put up with. And I want to say to them, don't, you know. She's speeding in the borrowed white jalopy, trying to calculate distances and the likelihood of oncoming traffic when parked cars on both sides of the street force the road into single file. An oncoming car now would end us. He twists in the passenger seat, screeching, fruitcake, headcase, bitch. It gets her thinking about glazed cherries and sultanas and fruitcakes. She can't stand sultanas. It's fine when they're firm, like raisins, in the red cardboard box with the dark-haired woman on it, which seems significant, a little keepsake. It's mushiness that repels. It's clever, she thinks, how fruitcake fits with headcase. She imagines pungent, soily fruitcake in a face-shaped case, sultanas of unknown mushiness studded with hyperbolic red cherries and orange peel. Fruitcake, headcase, bitch. It'd be bad to smile. He might hit her, even though she's driving him to work. There's so much lactic acid in his blood now, she thinks. It'll either make him work faster or exhaust him. When he smashes the door shut, she doesn't know what to do. It's like the wind has left the earth and ships everywhere pause. My love. It's not a thought. It's a raw feeling. Not a plush, red petal trail leading to a four-post bed. More the sort of thing that'd distract you to death. Not a nice simple death, like slipping while running with scissors and bleeding out. More like walking to a post box to deliver a love letter and detouring under a ladder, down a subway staircase onto tracks, in front of a train. Not intentionally, like Jack Lovelock, but because you weren't paying attention, which is another thing she does that annoys him. No spoiler alert required. You know, this isn't um, going to end with a happy ever after and, you know, life is all joy. There are still shadows for you here. But in some of the later poems, you're talking about spring and, and, and blossoms, that kind of thing. I mean, are you wanting a message for those who read this, who have experienced something similar, to give them a sense of hope? So not only the reality that they can read and relate to, thank God somebody's found the words to express what I've been through. I understand this. This is my story. Uh, but at the end of it also, I mean, where are you at? I am... Surviving. <laughs> like, I, my life is still totally different. I have been single for, I think, about seven or eight years now. And this is a carefully curated space that I keep around me. The experiences in the book, I think, will tell you <laughs> a lot of those reasons. And so this is, this feels right, you know. It feels really right for me. I would not change that unless there was an exceptional person and I have found that the only way for me through the aftermath of somebody else's 
poor behavior, somebody else's poor character, somebody else's criminal actions, is for me to really understand how I can listen to myself and have compassion for myself and love the things I love. And like the title of the cover, Heal, is it's got the exclamation mark. It's that's like the impatience of it. You know, like, hurry up, hurry up, feel better, be functional, don't have the issues that you have. But it's slow, you know, it is what, the only person who can go through this with you is you. And for me, nature and the whenua is, it's a medicine, it's a balm, and it gives me a kind of relationality that is uh, is non-judgmental, it's safe. I mean, everything that went in this book, I feel like I tried to bend people's ears and get them to have conversations. And so quickly you just feel like, you know, um, a burden and like you're banging this this drum. And it's it's really just a bit awkward for people as well. They're not quite sure what to say, I think, sometimes. Simone Kaho talking about her poetry collection, Heal. Uh, the full interview, including the full poem, will go up on our web page. If this interview has raised concerns for you, then contact Lifeline on 0800 543 354.